Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. You to pray and fast with me this week, and after prayer and fasting, I just got to tell you, I believe that we have we have come across um, a threshold. I believe this is a divine shift, uh, an interruption, a kairos. You know, there's chronos, kairos. Chronos is clock time. Kairos is appointed time. And then at the gate beautiful, there's another word for time in the Greek language, and it's a beautiful time. The gate beautiful is referencing the most beautiful time where Peter said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Get I don't, Silver and gold I don't have, but get up. And, and that old boy got up and walked, and 5,000 people were saved as a result of that perfect timing. I believe that we're, we've entered into a time of alignment. I don't want to be speak in hyperbole. I don't want to overstate this, but I believe that we've aligned to some of the plans and purposes of God. I believe God's going to do some awesome things at LifePoint Church. You hear what I'm saying. And uh, this, this Sunday... Richard and Pam are going to be with us. They're longtime friends. Known Richard all my life, Pam almost all my life, and and uh, they've been overseas in Africa for 32 years. He's like an apostle overseas, 32 nations, works over there. Just an incredible couple. They've been here once before, and uh, I'm letting them know where we are and asking them to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I know we have VBS this week. I believe God's going to do supernatural things at VBS. And then the Sunday after VBS, I will be kicking off a series called Miracles. And uh, I'm so excited uh, about it. Uh, The Lord's been talking to me. I've got some stuff to share with you. And I I just think that we need to prepare ourselves for powerful church. Powerful church. Come on now. Because the truth of the matter is, because of what Jesus has done in our lives, we are powerful. Not not because of us, but because what he's deposited in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we live so far below our privileges, but that day's over. And so I'm going to ask you to pray and fast some more. Just keep praying and fasting and asking God to increase our capacity to believe. And when we gather together in one accord, in one place, we need to expect the Holy Spirit to show up, to show off, to show out, amen, for signs, miracles, and wonders. I am so ready and hungry for that, y'all. And so with that in mind, I want to talk to you tonight. I've got a title for this. It's called Prayer Power in the Church. Prayer Power in the Church. And we're going to kind of go through Acts 12. And maybe Acts 13, if we can get to it. We went some of, through some of this in our um, uh, Faith That Shakes series a year or so ago. But I, I want to uh, just kind of dig some, some stuff out of here. So Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We'll just kind of go through this verse by verse. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, 
with a sword. Now, let's stop right there. This is Herod Agrippa I. He's the grandson of Herod the Great who ruled during Jesus' birth. He's the nephew of Herod Antipas who had a small role to play in the trial of Jesus Christ. Herod Agrippa I was infatuated with Judaism, with the Jewish religion, which you would think would be a good thing. However, he was an ally to the same Pharisees that killed Jesus about 10 or 12 years earlier and Stephen uh, a little bit after that. As a matter of fact, Herod Agrippa I was also an ally to the infamous Caligula. You may have heard of him. Very vile rank emperor. Herod Agrippa I sided with Caligula in a civil war and then was imprisoned for it. Then Caligula prevailed and released Herod Agrippa I and made him a king. He's a very nasty guy, very perverse, very opportunistic. And to be killed with the sword, when it says that uh, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, that meant he was beheaded. So he had James, the brother of John, beheaded. Now up until this time in the church, the twelve had been spared from martyrdom, persecution per se. Stephen had been killed, and, and others had been killed, but, but not the twelve. The death of James made it clear that they could be killed, the twelve, that is. The death of James. Now, they're not going to replace him like they did Judas. He, he had served his purpose, but it's, it's interesting. N notice this. Jesus had said this in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Mark 10, 35. Then James and John, you remember this, the sons of Zebedee came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? So this is James and John asking Jesus years earlier to do something. And Jesus says, What do you want me to do? Verse 37, They said to him, Now we know this is directed by their mother who loved them dearly and thought the world of them and said, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, of course. Sure, we're able. No big deal. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Now, it's fascinating here. He's talking about a baptism with which they would be baptized. Peter, James, and John were part of the inner circle. And we realize from our text over here in Acts that not only could one of the twelve be killed, but one of the three in the inner circle was exposed as well. James was the first to die of the twelve. He's in the inner circle. His brother John would be the last to die, and he would die a natural cause, the only one of the apostles that would die a natural cause. They were baptized for sure, well, in water, baptized for sure in the Spirit, but this baptism was a baptism of suffering, and they would be baptized with that 
baptism. James is gone. John's sad. The rest of the apostles are sad. And then verses 3 and 4, look at this. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. So this is the opportunistic Herod. <laughs> and he says, uh, this made the Jews happy, me killing James. So he grabs a hold of Peter, who was the leader. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So he gives this delay. This is interesting. Guzik says there was a significant difference between the persecution from Saul of Tarsus and from Herod. Saul, wrong as he was, persecuted out of sincere, though misguided, religious conviction. Herod persecuted out of pure political motive. Herod dealt with Peter in a way that was politically expedient. Michael Horton suggests that there were three reasons for the delay in executing Peter. Herod wanted to show that he was an observer of Passover. I'll delay this because I want you all to catch on as to how religious I am. He was infatuated with Judaism. Number two, he wanted to wait until the pilgrim crowds went home. He was afraid there might be a riot because this Jesus sect had, had grown uh, enormously. Number three, he wanted to wait until he had the full attention of the Jewish population. And, and so they were distracted with Passover, and so he wanted to make sure they were watching what he did with Peter. Now, knowing Peter with the other apostles had mysteriously escaped from prison before, he puts a high security detail on this man of God. John Stott puts it this way. Normally it was considered enough for a prisoner to be handcuffed to one soldier. But as a special precaution, Peter had a soldier on each side of him. And both of his wrists were manacled. That's the old word for it. They were, they were cuffed to these soldiers. One writer put it like this. So there were always four soldiers guarding Peter. Extraordinary precautions were also taken by chaining him to two soldiers instead of one as usual. You can see this in the writings of Seneca and some other writers from that day. That, so yeah, him chained to two soldiers and then two soldiers watching outside. Verse 5 of Acts 12. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but listen, listen to this. I painted that picture, listen to this. But constant... Prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, I want you to notice what they did not do. They did not go picket the jail. They did not work their political angle and try to get all muckety-muck with the powers that be. They... They did not take up arms and, and try to, in the flesh, engineer a jailbreak. Ian Bounds said, said it like this. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. I'm talking about prayer power in the church. They went to prayer. In this showdown between Herod, this wicked but powerful man, and the most 
powerful nation on earth. Herod had soldier power, prison power, political power, but the church had prayer power. Herod had the power of all of Rome, but the church had the power of all of heaven. And they would access it through prayer. Peter was in prison, and he could still pray. But you got to assume he was greatly distracted because he's handcuffed to two soldiers in a prison with guys watching out. And, and so he's greatly inhibited from praying in that situation. But the rest of the church was not. They're not in prison. They're not handcuffed to people. They were free to pray without that kind of distraction. And so when he was locked up with every gate holding him in, the church began to pray and the gates of heaven were open wide. And they began to come in before the throne of heaven and make their prayer requests known unto God. And it says that constant, everybody say constant. Constant prayer was I think one of the reasons our prayers are not answered is because we give up too quickly. We pray a prayer and stop. Constant prayer was prayed. We're going to talk about this. Angels were released. This was a miraculous angelic visitation. Miracles took place in the getting Peter out of prison situation, but it came as the result of constant prayer. They didn't say, Lord, set our brother free. Constant prayer was made. And you can say, well, they should have prayed and left it, prayed and believed and let it go. Well, if you're getting the kind of results they got, I'll agree with you. But I know they got results. Constant prayer was made. There was an angelic visitation. The power of the Holy Spirit's all up in this situation. And Peter was set free because of constant prayer. Prayer. It's the idea of earnest prayer. Literally, the word pictures someone stretching out all they can for something. John MacArthur says the verb that's used here is related to a verb that's a medical term and it describes the stretching of a muscle to its limits. They stretched themselves in prayer. To their limits. It's the same word that's used to describe the agonizing prayer that Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. Constant prayer, earnest prayer, stretching prayer, pushing prayer, pulling prayer, agonizing prayer, constant prayer, pushing you to your limits in prayer. It's not easy prayer, it's not quick prayer. It's constant prayer, stretching prayer. And I believe that's something that God's challenging us to do in our, our times that we gather together, to pray, to, to go just beyond simple, shallow prayer and go to stretching, constant, earnest prayer. The, listen, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it still avails much. And they stretched themselves. Much of our prayer is powerless because it lacks earnestness. Too often we pray with an attitude of wanting God 
to care about things that we don't necessarily really care as much as we like to think we do about. We're like, God, we want you to take care of this. When if it was really something we wanted them to take care of, Father, I need you. You see the difference. Lord, I need you to take care of this situation. Instead of, Lord, this is a big deal. I, I, if you don't come through, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm leaning all on you. Earnest prayer has power not because in itself it persuades a reluctant God, but instead it demonstrates that our heart cares passionately about the things God cares about, which fulfills what Jesus said. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you'll ask what you will and it'll be done for you. Constant prayer, this is interesting, was offered to God. To God. It, it wasn't just a ritual like it was an incantation. They were praying to God to coming into the presence of a holy God and saying, God, set this apostle free. We need you to set this apostle free. Constant prayer. Now, let me say this. The church had only been in existence 10, 12 years. They didn't have prayer seminars for 100 years, you know. They didn't have DVD series, go online, watch these videos on prayer and intercession, that kind of stuff. They were just figuring a lot of this stuff out. They didn't have grandparents and great-grandparents that said, let me tell you something, son, Here's what you got to get down to business with God. you got to pray. This was The church was, was learning as they went. They were just starting to wake up and realize prayer power in the church. Their intercessors were just starting to figure out the gifting that they had as intercessors and as prayer warriors. They were just starting to figure out praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit. Uh, they, they were. This was all brand spanking new to them. I mean, Paul's ministry had not even launched yet. He was still known as Saul. So this is all new to them. They're figuring it out, but they got in a jam, and it caused them to stretch. Do you see what I'm saying? And push. And try to find out, how, we need an answer, God. And so they were constant in prayer. It was a deep prayer. Everybody say deep prayer. It was a deep prayer. And there's something about a deep prayer. When I hear the effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much, that to me that's deep prayer. That's, that's dropping from the head and the tongue. and It's like from the heart to the tongue. It's, it's Lord God. God, it's from the Spirit. Paul said, I will pray in the Spirit and I will pray uh, with the understanding. The idea is that you can pray from the head, but you can also pray from the Spirit. And it's my conviction that you can pray from the, from the Spirit in English or whatever your language may be, your, your, your known language, but you can, you can also, so that's an intense Father in the name of Jesus, it's talking in the language, you know, but you can pray in the Spirit. That devotional language, that prayer language, you can go deep and begin to speak in tongues and pray 
in the Spirit. They were learning this stuff. And their constant stretching prayer was effective. Peter's going to get out of jail. Angels are going to be released from heaven. I'm going to tell you something. He would have died at the hand of Herod had the church not gone into constant prayer. Had they not stretched themselves in prayer. Let me ask you something. What situations are weighing in the balance on us to stretch ourselves in prayer? And have you stretched yourself in prayer? Or are you just content to just, you know, like I, I said Sunday, there are some religious traditions and, and, and they, uh, they like a, a rote and a ritual and it's just a recitation, it's devotional, it, it's, some of it's beautiful, the prayers and whatnot. But I'm going to tell you something, uh, you, you could not even believe in Jesus and quote those prayers. But, but when you, when it drops deep and you begin to push, God, I don't know how to handle this situation. I need your help, almighty God. I, I'm reaching for my lost loved one, God, my neighbor, my friend. I'm reaching, Father. Like Brendan said, I want to go, Father. Just go. Help me, God, to do what you called me to do. and be That kind of prayer, when it, it drops deep and it, you stretch yourself, answers come from that kind of prayer. And, and you know what? And I hate to say it, but you know what North American church doesn't want to do is go deep. Anything but deep. Entertainment. I mean, lights and gas. Gas. Lights, you know, lights water, and gas. Not gas. <laughs> Dear God, I hope they don't. Maybe that's the next thing. And helium. You know, I don't know. Like... <laughs> But entertainment, uh, lights and smoke and uh, stuff, you know, just replacing, replacing the power of God. It's like the power of personality, the power of presentation, the power of entertainment, anything but the power of God. But it's only the power of God, that, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This stuff, the miracles take place through the deep stuff. Prayer. Look at verse verses 6 to 11. Are you with me? I'm hungry for this, y'all. I, I really I'm telling you we've stepped through a threshold. My expectations are high. I want to I want to I want to be excited in this way like what's going to happen today at church? When we gather today, what's going to happen? Who's God going to touch? Who's God going to save? Am I going to see a miracle today? Come on, Lord Jesus, show out, man. Do something great, man. Do something great. Uh, verses 6 to 11. And when Herod was about to bring him out, it's right here at the last man. How, how many of you know sometimes, you know, you got Jehovah Rapha, you got Jehovah Nisi, you got Jehovah Sidkenu, and you got Jehovah Nicotine. <laughs> Jehovah Nicotine, man, just like, why does he do that? Look at that. It's, it's, Jehovah Nicotine showed up. When Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, behold, look at it. Now, that night, Herod was about to bring him out. Now, I don't know why he waited till then. Now, behold, 
an angel of the Lord stood by him. And a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. Get your shoes on, boy. Tie them shoestrings. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So put your clothes on, put your coat on, tie your shoes. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real. This seemed surreal, we would say. But thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard post. By the way, notice that. Thought he was seeing a vision. Peter was used to seeing visions. Where would that go in the church? We think you've got to drop LSD to see visions, you know? I told you all one time, I need to write a book from this one story. I had a guy, one of our original members came up to me and he said, he's like, Pastor, I dropped some acid. I started speaking in tongues. What do you think about that? I said, dude, that's really not good, you know? That's, that's not the way to go there. And, that, and the Lord gave me some wisdom. I told him, I said, there's a spirit world out there, and you can get there illegally or legally. And when you get there illegally, you're uncovered. All bets are off, you're in danger. But you can go there legally through the blood of Jesus. Ain't no devil in hell can mess with you at that point. And I said, you went there, don't go there. Stop that. <laughs> Quit it. <laughs> Stop it. We don't do that. I'm conservative, right? We don't do that. <laughs> but the idea is Peter was used to seeing I thought I was seeing a vision I wish that would be so commonplace that when we see a miracle we're like is this real like in the natural world or is God showing me something it was just commonplace man Peter, Paul would say that later you know I, 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 I knew a man in the body or out of the body I cannot tell they walked in that supernatural realm so much. They were seeing visions and God was showing them things. Would to God that at Life Point Church, and I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, preachers and what, I'm talking about the body of Christ. That the body of Christ would walk in the supernatural to where, I, as Pastor, I believe the Lord's showing me something. I feel like God's giving me a word. You know, if we get wildfire, get out of hand, we'll, we'll deal with it. Man, we'll govern that just like they did at Corinth. But I'm just telling you, I, I, Peter said, I thought I was seeing a vision. Powerful, man. Just a little innuendo there. I thought I was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Man, it was like Star Trek. Whoosh. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So he kind of takes him out, and he's like, you have to Uber from here, son. When Peter had come to himself, so he's kind of beside himself at this point. He said, now I know for a certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. This is amazing. This, the, the word, the iron gate, opened of its own accord. It's from the Greek word automate. Just opened up. Angels can bless by sparing life. 
or they can bless by taking life. The greater good, the purposes of God are always in mind. You line up with the purposes of God, the angels of God will line up with you. We see this from Exodus 12, where the death angel, you remember the story of the death angel? The death angel went out across Egypt and killed the firstborn of every place, every home that didn't have the blood applied. But the reason the angel was released was because in Exodus 2, verse 23, it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and they stretched themselves in prayer. This is going to be over in the Old Testament too, stretching in prayer. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. Stretched himself, earnest, effectual prayer of a righteous man. So here they are, stretching themselves, groaned because of the bondage, cried out. Their cry came up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Looked upon the children of Israel. God acknowledged them because of God's people praying, earnestly stretching themselves. An angel, boom, gets them out of Egypt in the Old Testament again. When, when Sennacherib came up against Hezekiah, 2 Kings 19. Listen to this, verse 8. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Turkica, king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Respa and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath? king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Sepharvavim, Hina and Eva. So, here you have this threat of persecution. Earnest prayer is made. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, read it, and he went up to the house of the Lord, spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, Oh, I'm telling you what he didn't say. He didn't say it like this, Oh, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the church. Could you get my capuchin? I want, you know. Give me a double tall soy, no whip white mocha. Oh, yeah, I'm praying. That's right. Oh, Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherub. No. He said, oh, Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between these angelic beings, you are God. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth you made. Incline your ear, oh, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, oh, God, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. He begins to cry out to God. He says, verse 19, Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are God alone. And then what happens? Isaiah the son of Amos sent Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed. Incredible. You see that? Stretching. And there's more in that story. Just powerful. It's earnest, sincere 
stretching. Prayer power. Everybody say prayer power. That's in the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. It's a better covenant, better promises. All they were looking forward to, Christ has fulfilled. We get to walk in that new covenant. They didn't speak in tongues. We can speak in tongues. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit like they couldn't prior to the cross, prior to Pentecost. Look at James 5. James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let me ask you, are you suffering? Pray. Take it to God. Let that suffering, pour your heart out to God. Let that suffering have voice in your prayer to God. God, I need you. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Sing some psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Notice this. Is anyone sick? I'm just, now this is James. This is not the one who was killed by Herod. This is James. This is not John's brother. This is Jesus' brother, his half-brother. James thought Jesus was out of his mind. And at the resurrection, he had a change of mind. And he became a, a believer and a profound believer and wrote the book of James. And notice what he's saying. Is anyone sick? Don't handle that by yourself. Don't call Luke the doctor per se. He doesn't say that. He says, call for the elders of the church. Now, I'm not against doctors. I believe in doctors. I go to doctors. I believe you ought to go to doctors. But don't neglect the power of let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save. It's a big word. Save the sick. Heal the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Can you see here that it indicates if you don't call for the elders of the church, have them pray, anoint with oil in the name of the Lord, then there is no prayer of faith. There is no healing the sick or raising them up. At least in this scripture, there's no promise of that, right? The promise comes from being obedient to this word. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say... Only if you've lived a good holy life, uh, you know, prior. Is that even if you're at your worst, call. You don't, let me tell you something, you don't know how good your Jesus is. We're, the, one of the reasons we're limited in our prayer power is we don't realize how willing he is to answer our prayers. He wants to partner with this church. He wants to partner with you. 
He wants you to be his prayer partner. He wants you to fall in alignment with the leadership of the church. We're going somewhere, y'all. And we're going somewhere that includes miracle signs and wonders and the supernatural and a powerful God, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that's just as real and active in the 21st century church as he was in the 1st century church. you got to stretch. you got to push. And then he says that. He said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. What? That it wouldn't. We got a storm coming. I'm just saying, like, we're so chicken. We're like, well, that's nonsense. You don't want to. You don't want to know how crazy I am with this, y'all. I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus told his disciples, we're going to the other side of the lake, and the devil sent a storm to stop them from going and getting to the other side, where there was a man possessed by demons waiting for his deliverance. Jesus said, we are going to the other side. He gets in the boat, and he falls sound asleep, sleeping on his word. And he had commissioned these 12 men to watch over that word. Now, the Lord watches over his word, but he had commissioned them. We are going to the other side. He later, if you read it, when they got to the other side, after the storm, after Jesus had to rebuke it, the Bible says he rebuked them. He chastised them. He upbraided them. For their lack of faith. How is it that you have no faith? Oh, you, how long do I have to suffer with you? You just don't have any, did you hear what I said? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. I said, we are going to the other side. I am convinced he would not have chastised them without a purpose. It was their responsibility to stand on the bow of that ship and say, Storm, our master has said we're going to the other side. Now, in Jesus' name, you disappear. We are going to the other side. Peace be still. I'm convinced. I'm convinced Jesus got on to them because they didn't believe. They came to him and said, oh, my God, man. Why are you sleeping? We're about to die. Do something. He got up, shaking his head. Texted the father, face palm emoji. You, where's your faith? Oh, oh, gotta do everything myself. Steps out of the boat, 6,000 demons and a man. The dude comes running up naked, worshiping. Jesus said, Who are you? We're legion. We're many. Have you come to torment us before our time? Yeah. Don't cast us out of this country, please. Can we go in the swine? Go. Go get in the swine. Pigs commit suicide. Crazy. The disciples are seeing it, and they're blown away. 
they're like, they didn't realize the power of his word, the power he had invested in them. And I am telling you, we don't understand the power of his word and what he's invested in us. And so when I say, wow, we could rebuke a storm, y'all have no idea. Now, I, I'm not, I, ain't, I ain't won every battle, okay? I got a few scars. But I've been a crazy man standing on my porch saying, you tornado, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You go back where you came. And I'm talking to the weather and cars and situations, money, circumstances. Why? I ain't in this alone, y'all. Right. I, I, this, is, I, this is not, I'm not limited to what I can see and feel and taste. And so I'm not limited by my senses. I'm full of the Holy Ghost and fire, y'all. I'm telling you. And so are you. And as we unite, anything is possible. Anything is possible. So, with that in mind, verse 12, back in Acts. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where they were gathered together praying. They're at a house prayer meeting. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. So he like knocks. He's like, hey, it's Peter. And she's like, it's Peter. And she leaves him outside, runs inside. And she's like, Peter's outside the gate. And, and the church that's just starting to plug in, They tell her, you're out of your mind. You're beside yourself, the wording. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. And so they get theological. They posited, it's his angel, little girl. We're deep in prayer. You've, it's his angel. Peter continued knocking. And finally, they opened the door. You know, it's like, it's, it's his angel. And she's like, well, his angel's knocking and talking, you know. And they finally opened the door, and they were astonished. They didn't even realize the power of their prayers. They're figuring out, they're figuring it out. Think about it. Church, th th we've been doing church in Prairieville for 13 years. It's our bar mitzvah. So th they were, they've been doing church a little bit shorter of a period of time than that. And they're, they're figuring it out. Wow, you're here. It's, it's Peter. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. And uh, it goes on. Um, we're talking about angels. Uh, let's stand with me right now. The end of the story is the word of God grew and multiplied. And Saul 
Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And in chapter 13, listen to this beginning of uh, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Listen to the beginning of this chapter. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. They're figuring out their roles, their offices, their responsibilities. Listen to this. Certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. We've seen him. And Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, they're figuring out the power of fasting combined with ministering to the Lord, prayer. You see a specific type of prayer ministering to the Lord mentioned. And then you see where the Holy Spirit speaks in this prayer meeting to these prophets and teachers. Now notice, prophets and teachers who are not the 12, right? These are guys that are just figuring out their roles, their offices. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, sent them away. And we saw where later Paul goes from being a prophet and a teacher through a confrontation on the island of Cyprus to becoming an apostle. It's no longer Barnabas and Saul, but from there on, it's Paul and Barnabas. He ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. They were figuring this stuff out, y'all. What am I saying? I'm saying they, they were learning the power of collective prayer. Unified prayer. My prayer. Something broke in here Sunday. I hope I'm never the same. I'm telling you, I, I don't want that to just be a high watermark. And we're like, oh, you remember that crazy service? It was wild. I want us to be able to say, you know, I think it was, I think it was July the 7th when God did something and we've never been the same. F folks, you're going to see a video on the 21st. On Friday night, Thursday night, Thursday night, a week from tomorrow, Thursday night, I saw a woman paralyzed throw her walker, and take off running. Doctor confirmed. Just, and it was through the gifts of the Spirit, a word of faith. Run! It's it was a crazy word. Woman with a walker had a stroke. Very irreverent. Run! She's like, what? He said, run! What? Run! And he walked away. And I saw her take that word, take that walker, Chunk it. And take off running. And when she did, her husband went nuts. You talk about running, he went crazy. Yeah, come on now. That stuff is possible. It can happen. And I come against every spirit of criticism and cynicism that says it can't. 
and that throws up all the old tired cliches. Well, why don't you go clean out the hospital? That's not the way it worked. Jesus didn't do that. The apostles didn't do that. But I tell you what, the plans and purposes of God were pushed forward and there were miracles and signs and wonders sprinkled all up in that work of God. If it happened then, it is the will of God that it happens now. Somebody's got to boldly stand up and say, it is time for us to have apostolic revival. Come on, give him some praise right now. Devil, you're a liar and a thief. You've paralyzed the church and you've squished the church and and, and you've tried to strangle the church and suffocate the church. But the blood of Jesus is against you and the people of God are woke. The people of God have awakened We're starting to realize God is in this house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.